However, cost inflation hits a 11-year high, Botswana food inflation at an over 13-year high. And we also spotlight the special regional export facility launched in Uganda. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial, and you can find me at Ruth Dong. Your main story is brought to you by INM Bank PLC. INM Bank Rwanda, we are on your side. A special regional export facility of an initial 1 trillion Uganda shillings has been launched in Uganda. This will serve as a financial package to support exporters from Uganda to regenerate and grow export volumes to the regional markets including South Sudan, Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, Burundi, Kenya, Tanzania and others. The Executive Director of Supervision Bank of Uganda, Twine Manzi Tumuvaine, in this episode delves into high interest rates the Africa Dami, and what exactly this facility will resolve. What does the regional export facility seek to address? What it seeks to address, from my point of view, is three things. Execution risk, counterparty risk, and credit risk. Execution risk that if the bank provides the facility to you, that you will actually be able to go ahead and produce those goods or actually deliver them. Counterparty risk. That the counterparty who, with whom, say, for example, you have an LC issued by a, a bank in DRC, will actually meet the obligation when it's due. And credit risk, that the money you borrow, you actually pay back. I think, as an addition, perhaps, for those who are designing this, for this facility that we are launching today, we need to take into consideration that, and I don't mean this in a bad way, maybe perhaps in my past life, having been a money lender, I know one or two things about lending, is that generally the biggest problems we have with credit in Uganda, whether it's for export or for manufacturing, is that there's something called funds diversion. Someone walks into a bank, is seeking to put up uh, a structure for five billion shillings, presents his plan, the bank approves it, then the bank makes a mistake and gives, puts five billion shillings on his account. Now, he walks out, looks at the car he's driving, and wonders maybe Toyota has something better. If someone is going to export, if someone is going to manufacture, if you're going to export, let the bank underwrite the transaction. Let the credit be in terms of underwriting. Okay? If you got an order to produce, I don't know, to export, say, uh, milk powder, but you don't have the machinery, or you think you need to expand the capacity of the machinery, why should the bank give you money? The bank should pay the manufacturer who then delivers the machine so that they ensure you actually do as you promise. So as we go about this regional export facility, I think the emphasis should be on trying to, because you have the facility, you know, World Bank and all the other partners coming into the risk. The, the, the risking mainly is going to be on uh, counterparty risk, but we still have to worry about execution risk. You can give me all the money I need, but if I, if I don't make the commitment to use it the way it's intended to, then those are the cases which end up in a court where we currently have about seven trillion shillings stuck in court cases between contests between borrowers and lenders. While the facility is rated at 12% per annum for the local currency and 6% for the dollar-denominated facility, the outcry from manufacturers is that this is still high. Elaborate on what goes into the pricing of credit. Just on the pricing, you'll see that largely most of the pricing that we face today is a function of two things. 
One, that these banks that we rely on to provide us credit use very short-term money. Actually, in finance, we call it volatile deposits, money that comes in today and leaves tomorrow to create loans of three, four, five years. That mismatch in duration or maturity, okay, they have to price it. And the reason why I mentioned that. And second is the floor for lending to the private sector is set by government, ourselves. When we as government, as government agencies don't manage our finances very well, we are forced to come into the market and compete with you, the private sector, for funds. Now, a government can't fail to pay. Tunamanzi can fail to pay for whatever reason. So we find the situation where government sets the floor for lending, but then on the issue of banks using volatile deposits, and I was, I was hoping my friend Audrey could mention this, is that it's about time we actually began looking at longer term, you know, more stable long-term sources of financing. In every jurisdiction or country that has grown, the, the contribution to funding by pension funds, provident funds, and other pool saving or collective investment schemes has been essential for the development. Okay? But when we look at the environment we have here, NSSF is restricted only to listed securities. It can only build houses. That's not what I think it should be doing. So if we address the issue of the, the source of funding, the kind of funding that we need to support some of these initiatives, and for government to manage its expenditure, I think the, the, the pricing that you seek becomes a real possibility. Intertrade is a big issue that this facility seeks to boost. What kind of impact does Intertrade have on monetary policy and how does this rope in the Africa dummy concept? In trying to understand growth in Africa over the years, they notice Africa has the resources. We have the weather, we have the minerals, but for some reason, for whatever reason it is, we can't seem to cross that chasm that prevents us from getting to where we need to be. Now, in some, in some regressions, in some analysis, what they do, they put in something they call the Africa dummy. And I would, ask, I would suggest, for those who are a bit academically inclined, to try and read upon this. The Africa dummy in trying to explain the growth in Africa, or the lack thereof. But one of the things that's becoming apparent is that Uganda will do more trade with the UK, documented, unless trade with the DRC, or if it's more, it's undocumented, so therefore it doesn't count in if it's undocumented. But we are saying, look here, we don't have to go and look for, you know, to sell to the UK and so on. It's nice to sell to them, but the kind of standards they are going to put on you, they didn't, they did, even they themselves at the beginning never faced those kind of standards. So you, 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 you want to disadvantage yourself, yet you already have an advantage. How about you start with your peers? I'll give an example. For those who are in exporting, say, for example, avocado. The kind of avocados that are liked abroad are the small husks. The, the conditions are such that it must be in air or in transit within 40 hour, 48 hours of, 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 of harvesting from the time you cut it. But then our indigenous ones, which somehow just seem to manage and survive, don't have those detailed requirements. And our neighbors who are like us like them. So then the question is, someone spends his fortune trying to service the market that is going to set, well, by their own standards, but it's going to set very high standards. And yet, how about you start with the, the low-hanging fruit? 
And then slowly together, work upon growing your own standards together. I'm not saying you shouldn't have standards, but why not start with those whose standards are similar to ours? So, I mean, yes, it's nice to have the, the Forex, but then on the other hand, and then this, this comes into how we look at monetary policy, is that then you're either creating demand for bringing in uh, dollars or pounds or euros, which somehow we have to manage in, in the event that that exchange rate affects our economy. How about we have bilateral arrangements in terms of if I'm selling maize to Kenya, I should be paid in Uganda shillings, in dollars. Why should a transaction between a farmer, a farmer in Busia and a purchaser in Nairobi have to be routed through New York? Why should a transaction between someone buying cassava in South Sudan, Juba, and a cassava farmer in Mubende have to be transited through New York because you're using another currency as an intermediary for exchange? So it's some of the things we have to look at. Of course, if you can start doing direct trade with South Sudan, Uganda shillings to Sudanese pounds, Uganda shillings to Tanzanian shillings, my problems in monetary policy are reduced. So, so it's also good for me that, you know, you, you look at this. A quick review of the other stories that are making it into the podcast. African airlines are still operating below the 40% of their retained capacity in spite of easier restrictions on movement following the COVID-19 pandemic. Local airlines only served 39.5% capacity of the domestic market, carrying about a third of the expected passenger numbers. About 30% of all passengers carried were traveling from one African country to another. Data from the Africa Airlines Association September's uptake shows that African airlines had resumed traffic on 99.2% of the routes they operated in before the pandemic. The review shows eight African airlines have exceeded the number of international routes they operated before COVID-19 outbreak. The annual inflation rate in Botswana fell to 13.8% in September of 2022 from a near 14-year high of 14.6% in the prior month, mainly due to a slight slowdown in prices of transportation amid the drop in retail pump prices of petrol and diesel, which came to effect on September 11, 2022. Prices also increased at a softer pace for miscellaneous goods and services, restaurants and hotels, recreation and culture, and alcoholic beverages and tobacco on the other hand, costs continue to accelerate for food and non-alcoholic beverages, primarily oils and fats and vegetables. On a monthly basis, consumer prices were up 0.3%, the same pace as in the previous month. Staying with Botswana, food prices in Botswana climbed to 14.8% year-on-year in September of 2022, accelerating from a 13.2% rise in the previous month. It's the highest food inflation rate since June of 2009, of which oils and fats, vegetables, bread and cereals recording the biggest price increases. The annual inflation rate in Ivory Coast ticked up to 6.3% in September of 2022 from 6.2% in the previous month. It's the highest reading since May of 2011, mainly on account of prices of food, non-alcoholic beverages, notably oils and fats and transport. Additionally, upward pressure came from housing and utilities and restaurants and hotels. On a monthly basis, consumer prices were almost flat after increasing by 0.5% in the previous month. The annual inflation rate in Somalia is for the second straight for the second month to 7.2% in September of 2022 from 7.6% in the previous month. It's the lowest reading since June amid a slowdown in prices of food, non-alcoholic beverages and housing and utilities. Consummately, prices decreased for tobacco and narcotics, miscellaneous goods and services, clothing and footwear. 
furnishing and household equipment, transport, restaurants and hotels and education. On a monthly basis, consumer prices were up by 0.4% after falling by 1.4% in the previous month. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial. And you can find me at Withadong.